Good morning. Um, I, I'm with Jordan, to be honest. Like, I, I'm the guy who gets to teach a lot of this particular series. Uh, it's been awesome for me. Like, I feel a little bit like jealous for you guys because I, I actually get to spend a lot of time like diving in and studying this, and it's been so cool and fun. Uh, actually, really challenging. Uh, my own heart and what I'm uh, doing in my vocation and, and, and who I'm doing it for. And so I hope you're enjoying the series as well. And that uh, uh, anytime we have an opportunity to kind of return to our identity, right? Like who we're created to be at our core. Like I just think there's something that happens uh, in our own souls. Like it's almost like, you know, ma- a magnet, right? Like when we start to talk about things that uh, are deep within us, I feel like there's something that just kind of draws us towards that. And it's just like, yes, like that's what it's about. And, and so just that journey back, we've been spending really the last few weeks really just focusing on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And uh, we've got this week and next week to continue that journey. And, and I just, so I don't know, this, just, uh, this had nothing to do with the sermon. It's just me getting to tell you how awesome I think this has been. So <laughs> thanks for letting me be your pastor, because it means I get to study this stuff, and it's awesome. Um, so, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, so Adam and uh, um, God uh, were walking in the garden, um, and God could tell that Adam was feeling really kind of down um, because he was alone. And so God had known all along that this was going to be the case, uh, he was waiting for Adam to really feel it, and so finally one day he says to Adam, he says, Adam, I think uh, I can tell you're really kind of lonely and, and, and like sad and down, and, and, and he's like, I, I knew this was going to happen, so I, I have planned for this. He says, so I'm going to give you a woman, Adam. And he says, I'm going to put you to sleep, and I'm going to take your left arm and your left leg to create her, and Adam looks at him and says, God, what could I get for a rib? Come on, work with me, people. Good stuff. Uh, um, And then after he created Eve, uh, he looked over at her with a wink and a smile, and he said, see, I told you, practice makes perfect. Oh, I'll be here all weekend. Seriously, don't forget to tip your waiters and waitresses. Those are my two jokes. That's, That's what I got this morning. Equal opportunity offender. Okay. I don't send me a letter, all right? Um, If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to open up to Genesis chapter 2. A few weeks back, I actually spent a little bit of time going through the first half of Genesis 2, and we're going to look at kind of the second half of Genesis 2. And Genesis 2 really is, uh, if you need a Bible, um, we've got some folks that are going to just be walking down. You can just raise your hand, and they'll make sure to to hand you one. Uh, Genesis 2 is really easy to find because it's right at the very, very beginning of the Bible. So Genesis chapter 2. Now, um... What's happening in Genesis 2 is actually kind of interesting, okay? We have Genesis chapter 1 where uh, the narrator gives us an overview of what's taking place in the creation story, where, where how God is at work creating. And then in Genesis chapter 2, what it basically does is it, it kind of zooms in on day 6 to talk about uh, what God did when he created Adam and Eve. And so it's kind of like you get this overview, and then it like skips back to day six, kind of zooms in to help us understand how God is going to help humanity fulfill the creation mandate that he's given to us, 
All right, the creation mandate is found in Genesis 1, uh, kind of 26 to 28. It's when he uh, blesses uh, humanity and, and says that they're to be fruitful and to multiply, to increase in number and fill the earth. He says that they are supposed to subdue and rule over the earth, okay? That's our job. It's what we were created to do. So that's called the creation mandate. And the first half of Genesis 2 kind of deals with uh, uh, the first part of it, which is to rule over and subdue the earth. Now, I think it was week one that we actually talked about what that actually means to rule, to subdue. All right? It has this idea of partnering with God to take the world someplace. It goes back to our very identity that God created us in his image, that we would be rulers with him, partnering with God, kings and queens. The language of ruling and subduing is really the language of uh, monarchs. It's royal language. You are not just an accidental afterthought. You were created with intention and purpose with meaning, and there's something so powerful about that. And so uh, the beginning of chapter 2, God actually kind of, uh, or the narrator, I should say, explains to us how God is helping with that concept of ruling and subduing. In fact, it actually says that the the, uh, ground, um, things weren't happening in the ground because there was no one there to work it. And then it says that God then creates Adam, Adam, dust. From dust, he creates man, breathes life into him, And now we get to the second part, verses 18 through 25, that I want to focus on this morning. So, let's go ahead and uh, read that. Um, Before I do, though, I just want you to pay attention uh, to anything that seems to be like different or weird, uh, maybe a phrase that jumps out at you. I'm thinking of one in particular. Uh, If you don't get it, it's okay. I'm going to tell you in a minute. And then this morning, I'd like to focus on three words. From those three words, we're going to find that there's two kind of general applications that I want to give, and then there's going to be uh, one specific observation and one specific application that I want to talk about at the very end of our time today. Cool? All right, let's dive in. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Did you catch the thing that should have jumped out at you as you're reading this? Now, it would have been a lot more obvious if we had just read all of chapter 1. You see, because all throughout chapter 1, God is working. Like, God is a God who works, and he's doing the work of creation. Uh, In chapter 2 here, we see that God is doing other work too. Uh, He's doing the work of a surgeon. Uh, He's doing the work uh, of a plastic surgeon. Uh, He's doing the work of all kinds of things. A a father. Um, 
But all throughout chapter 1, God does work, and then he says, at the end of the day, it is good. Exactly. Very, yeah, right on. It's good, right? In fact, we get to the end of day 6, and God looks at everything that he's done. Now, at this point, remember, of course, uh, Adam and Eve have been created at the end of day 6, along with everything else, and God says it is, does anybody know? It is very good. Yeah, 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 very good. And so if you had been reading all through Genesis chapter 1, and you get to Genesis chapter 2, when you stumble upon this phrase, it is not good, it should make us like, whoa, what's up with that? Now, the word good has this idea of complete or completion, all right? Not just that it was like generally good, like, hey, good job, buddy. It has this idea that like good is like complete the way it's supposed to be. And so God says it's, it's good but when now, in chapter 2, we kind of zoom in on day 6. And there's a time in day 6, before God says it is very good, where God says, it is not good. It is not good. Now, uh, this is a huge clue from the narrator. The narrator is telling us, in fact, uh, he actually quotes God in this, that something isn't the way it's supposed to be. Something is not complete. And something has to be done about it, all right? Now, the text, like I said, moves from this overview of creation to kind of zoom in. And it's going to give us now, in verse 18, two of our three words that I want to look at this morning. The first word is the word helper. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. A helper. So, uh, basically what the text is saying is... uh, Adam needs a Tonto for his Lone Ranger, right? A Robin to his Batman, a kickstand to his bike, right? A vice president to his presidency. Every CEO needs a good secretary, am I right? (laughs) Some of you are looking at me fuming right now, all right? You should be. Those of you that are nodding, knock it off, all right? You're... No, this is not at all. But look, when we read the word helper, way too often, that's kind of what we think. In fact, probably even in past generations, this was talked about. Woman was always created to be a helper for man. Keep her barefoot in the kitchen. Let me just say something, okay? That is not a scriptural understanding of woman. That is not a scriptural understanding of helper. You see, Eve is not simply Adam's secretary. Eve is Adam's ezer. I'm like, what? That's the Hebrew word for helper. And really, it has a concept um, that is talked about all throughout the Old Testament. The concept of helper is not simply something that is talked about right here. Uh, In fact, uh, it's talked about in Psalm 33, verse 20. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to pop over to 3320, and we'll find out how another way, another time, that the word ezer is used. Psalm 3320 says this, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our ezer and our shield. Our help and our shield. Uh, If you were to flip over a little bit further into Psalm 115, verse 9, you would see this. All you Israelites, trust 
in the Lord, he is their ezer and shield. Says the same thing again there. He is their help, their helper. Um, What's happening here is that God is describing that Adam is incomplete. He needs help. And so God decides that he is going to create Eve as a helper, not as a subordinate. In fact, God is our helper. So if anything, it shows that Adam is actually the weak one. If we were going to extrapolate that far, now ladies, don't get too excited like I told you. See, we're really the most important ones here. You need help, just like God helps you, we help you. So basically, we're God, okay? So like, all right, if you're going there, ladies, okay, that actually would be the, the, the most logical way to go, but that would also be uh, a poor extrapolation of Scripture. Um, Dr. J.H. Uh, Walton, he uh, wrote a commentary on Genesis, and uh, I think he's, besides just simply brilliant, um, he does some of the best work in helping understand uh, what's going on in the text uh, with the culture that it was written into, understanding what the original authorial intent actually was so that we can then properly uh, understand how to apply, how to interpret what's going on. And so uh, I'm going to actually quote him on a couple of things uh, throughout this morning, but I want to quote him on this because I love how he helps us understand this word helper. He says, the word helper is common enough as a description of someone who comes to the aid of someone else or provides a service for someone. Uh, He's talking about scripturally here, okay? It says, it carries no implications regarding the relationship or relative status of the individuals involved. In fact, the noun form of the word found in this verse, as used elsewhere throughout the Old Testament, refers almost exclusively to God as the one who helps his people. Nothing suggests a subservient status of the one helping. In fact, the opposite is more likely. So if you've ever heard somebody say, well, Adam was created and Eve was created as his helper. Now you understand that God is the one that is most commonly referred to as helper. And we get a better understanding that it had nothing to do with whether one was better or worse than the other, whether one was above or below the other in this passage of scripture. Now, let's go on to the second word, okay? It says a helper suitable. Suitable is our second word this morning. It's kind of a weird word to use as a word to really focus on. Well, yeah, that's true, but the reason is, is because uh, suitable, not only does the, that combination, helper suitable or suitable helper, get used a couple of times in this passage, but it's a word that's actually really, really difficult to, to translate. Um, the NIV uses the word suitable, uh, it's not a bad translation, but it has uh, actually this compound connection of words to make up this one word, all right? And the problem is, is that this compound word is not used anywhere else in Scripture. So usually when we're trying to understand like what a word means, we go to other places that it's used to understand the context of how it's used there, and that helps us to know what it means. In this particular case, it's not used anywhere else. We don't have any other um, similar ancient languages like Akkadian or anything like that that we can go to and say, well, it's kind of used in a similar fashion and kind of some similar ways uh, here. We don't have that. And, and so uh, 
the best thing that we can do then at that point is to say, well, what are the compound words and what are those words, kind of their roots, kind of mean? And maybe that will help us get some understanding. And even there, we're not 100% sure how best to do it. But what I like best as, as I was studying through this um, is this concept is that it seems to kind of mean that uh, it's an opposite. Okay? So suitable um, means opposite in the sense that a riverbank has an opposite riverbank. Okay? There's one on each side of the river. And you can tell that there's two sides of the riverbank, but it's really hard to figure out where one ends and one begins underneath the water. But you can tell that there's two, but really they're working together as one to keep the river exactly where it's supposed to be. That's really the concept that's found here in this word. And so Walton says it this way. He says, I would choose a translation such as partner or counterpart. All right, instead of suitable. So a, a counterpart helper or a partner helper, he says uh, the former better reflects the helper part of the combination while the latter better reflects the compound word. If we could make up words, counterpartner would be a great one. <laughs> so uh, Eve is supposed to be his counterpart partner helper. <laughs> That's a mouthful, right? Probably why they use the word suitable. <laughs> so uh, that helps us, though, begin to understand the role that Eve is supposed to play. Now, God wants Adam to feel this himself. God wants Adam to feel this himself. So uh, what God does is he then brings the animals to Adam and has Adam name them. And that was part of Adam's role and Eve's as well, we're going to find. But he wanted Adam to realize that nobody correlated with him. Nobody corresponded. None of the animals were like him. He wanted Adam to feel alone. God already knew that this was going to take place, but he wanted Adam to experience it himself. And so that's basically what happens in Genesis chapter 2. Let me jump back there myself. And at the very end of verse 20, it says, But for Adam no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took, took one of the man's ribs. That's going to be our third word. Before I get into that, let me keep going in the text. It says, he took the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. I said, God's a plastic surgeon. We got it right here. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. The word made there really is the concept to build. I don't know, it was like Lincoln Logs or Legos or like I've never seen a flesh game for kids. That would probably be a little gross. But um, that, uh, God builds Eve from what he's taken from Adam. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This is actually a really interesting picture. Uh, Because then in the text, it actually says that uh, that's why a man is supposed to leave his father and mother and go and leave and cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's interesting, because in, in Israel, usually it was the woman that would leave her family and move to the man's tribe, to her husband's kind of tribe. Uh, But there was also something that was happening uh, at this time where during uh, um, the beginning of the marriage, the man would actually leave his and he would go and live with his wife's family for a time. Uh, What we see here, though, is God is acting as a father. Like he's bringing, like I've got a daughter. I do lots of weddings. It's like one of my favorite things that I get to do as a pastor. There is something so cool about that moment. And like I've... I don't think I could even 
remember a single wedding where there wasn't tears between a dad as he's giving his daughter away. And i got to imagine that the scene is somewhat similar here. God, this perfect compliment, brings Eve to Adam. Check her out. And what does Adam do? Bro is so blown away that he literally breaks into poetry. <laughs> Seriously, that's, that's what that is there. That's actually poetry, okay? You say romance is dead. Not in the Old Testament, baby. Literally, like that, that's, this is poetry. This is now bone of my... Like if you see it written in your Bible, you'll see it's like blocked off a little bit differently because it's poetry. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That Adam can't believe it because he knew something was lacking, something was missing, and now she is there and he's like, that, yes, yes. Um, I said ribs are third word. So this is actually kind of an interesting one. Uh, there's no other place in Scripture that this particular word in the Hebrew is used uh, to talk about an anatomic part, rib. Okay? Uh, even in some other languages, uh, ancient languages that have some similarities to ancient Hebrew, um, there's only one other time where it talks about this, and it's, it's referring less to a particular rib and more to like the whole rib cage, um, in, in this, uh, we actually think that as a result of what Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, God closing up the area with flesh, uh, that there's more than just simply a rib that's being taken, that it has more to do with the side. Okay? Uh, listen to what uh, Walton says about this, because I love it. He says, given all the lexical data and the fact, he's talking about the lexical data within Scripture and the ancient languages, he says, the fact that Adam refers to woman as taken from his bone and flesh, it is more likely that the text portrays God as taking a handful of bone and flesh out of Adam's side to use in the construction of Eve. Another suggestion goes so far as to suggest that Yahweh divides Adam in half, making one half or one side uh, the woman. You see what's really being shown here? It's not just like, oh, a little tiny piece and, you know, that... That, that's an, it's the point that she's taken from his side, very part of him. And then she comes in at his side. I think I've heard this in weddings. In fact, maybe I even had said this at a wedding before. I don't remember, but I'm going to slaughter it. So if you know the actual quote, but it's something like, man, a woman was not taken from man's head to rule over him or from man's uh, feet to, to serve under him. She was taken from his side to walk, to walk uh, with him or something like that, okay? Ah, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty. Yeah, well, it, that's exactly what the text is explaining to us here that they are equals together. Now, I told you that the first part of chapter 2 is talking about this concept of uh, um, how we're going to do the first part of the creation mandate, which is to rule and subdue the earth, okay? And the second part, this part that we're looking at, is how God is helping them fulfill the creation mandate to fill the earth, okay? Uh, Adam couldn't fill the earth by himself, okay? Just wasn't going to happen, all right? Not physiologically, biologically possible, all right? Eve was needed. Now, Eve was needed, but so was Adam, okay? You need a man and a woman to create a child. You can't fill the earth without family, all right? So we talked about two things. You got field, all right? That's kind of what we called the first part of the creation mandate, subdue and rule the earth. And you've got family, uh, which is the filling of the earth, that thing that God blesses. And we see this here 
in the reality that men need women and women need men. I mean, I know that sounds really basic, but it's sometimes good to be reminded of the basics. So when they're asked to do this, uh, I want to point something out, though. Because it would be easy to jump and make a conclusion that Eve then was simply brought on the scene so that she could have babies. Well, we need someone that can have babies, okay? So let's, let's give uh, Adam uh, Eve. That's not at all Eve's purpose. Let me say that again. That is not Eve's purpose. It is one of Eve's functions. And we will not downplay that. It is one of the most beautiful, amazing gifts that God gave to women. And we're not going to downplay that or pretend that there aren't different functions and roles that we play as men and women. In fact, quite honestly, our, our society, the culture that we live in, is trying to downplay that as much as possible. Now, part of that is because, quite honestly, us men, we haven't always done, okay, we've often not done a good job of valuing, loving, respecting, holding up our female counterparts. But the opposite side is not simply to say that everybody's the same and nothing's different because that's not at all why God created male and female. We need each other's differences. There's beauty that's found in diversity. God created that on purpose. So she wasn't created simply for producing children, okay? I do think that that's important that we understand Eve's purpose was the same as Adam's purpose. To be a princess, prince, queen, king, in the role of ruling and subduing the earth, in the role of filling the earth and multiplying. All right? So she has a, the same role, uh, excuse me, she has the same purpose as Adam does. And each play roles. Now, I don't have time to get into what all the implications are for roles. We're not going to be able to get into the New Testament and have all kinds of different debates, although that is a fair discussion for us to have at some point. But what I'd like to do today is simply make two general applications, okay? The first one is about field, all right? There's no way for us to talk about this because it's all intended to be one. I didn't really engage with the beginning of chapter two because I've already talked about it a little bit, but I want to throw this out there because it's so important that we understand it. We have to care about how industries use or abuse the earth, okay? We should care about climate change and how we're contributing to that. Look, I get it. Some folks are like, don't bring politics into the church. And I'm like, look, I'm, sometimes I kind of agree with that, okay? Sometimes I, like, I'm not, I don't want our pulpit to become a political thing. But look, here's the deal. This is not a political issue. The problem is that we've politicized things like climate change. Look, if we've done anything to hurt the earth, we should care. I mean, we, we should be about trying to fix whatever we can do. Now, you're like, hey, the science isn't clear. We don't know if it's actually us. Maybe it's just what's happening. Okay, maybe. Maybe. But either way, if there are some things that we can do that might help, we ought to do, like of all people, Christians should care about this. We should care about how we use resources. We should care about the fact that there's so much plastic in the ocean. It's not simply about us getting what we desire all the time. It's about us being God's representatives and caring for the creation that he's given to us. It matters, friends. It matters. And, you know, I was just realizing, Brenda and I had this conversation earlier today. She's like, don't talk about this. I can't help it. Sorry, baby. Um, she, said, she said, yeah, and we don't even recycle at church. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> we, we don't, do we? 
And I was like, we can buy, we will buy some of those like bigger trash cans that have like, you know, trash and recycles and, you know, paper, whatever. Like, we can do that. And then I was like, yeah, but um, when we throw it away, we take that stuff out and there's only one trash bin out there. There's no recycling. So I just realized, okay, I probably got some work to do. I probably need to start talking to our entire business uh, uh, compound that we're a part of and say, hey, what's it going to take for us to actually get uh, a place that we can recycle as well? I don't know if it's going to happen because we don't have the biggest vote, but we probably ought to care about that stuff. Do what we can. Look, as Christians, we have to care about the earth. No one should outcare Christians when it comes to the earth. All right, that's one general application. Let me give you another general application as it results to family. We in America and really all around the West are rapidly losing our value of the family. God sees the family as necessary to do what he desires in this world, and he passionately values the family. The raising of children is job number one of dads and moms. We need to see value in this as a vocation again. God certainly does, and that will require fighting some of the cultural pressures today. Uh, I want to read to you a, a short excerpt out of John Mark Comer's book, Garden City, because he so beautifully and eloquently explains Uh, applies this to real life. Listen to what he says. He says, My wife Tammy and I have three kids, Jude, Moses, and Sunday. They are a ton of work and money and time and effort and energy and stress, and they are systematically wrecking our house. And they are the best thing that's ever happened to us. And because each one is spilling over with raw, uncut potential, each one is a full-time job. So, for now, Tammy is a full-time mom. When the kids are a bit older, her plan is to go back to school and become a nurse. But she's in no rush. She feels like this is what she was made for. When it comes to parenting, Tammy and I are partners, in it together. But we each play a unique role. She's free to invest more of her time in what's commonly called parenting, the art of unfolding children. I love that. That said, I hate, or loathe, detest, despise, put in any other word that you want to, I hate it when people ask me, does your wife work? Seriously? Come on. It bugs me because there's a subliminal message in there that parenting doesn't really count as a legitimate career. If you're smart and educated and at all forward thinking, why in the world would you waste the best years of your life on your children? Our culture as a whole, and sadly even the church at times, doesn't have a high view of parenting, at least not as a career. God's view of the family, however, is over the top. To him, it's the first thing on human's job description. There's a reason why married couples who can't have kids usually feel deep pain and anguish over infertility. He says, one of my best friends has been married for 15 years. He and his wife have tried everything, but they haven't been able to get pregnant. I watched them grieve the death of a child that hasn't even been born. My point isn't that you all need to go out and get pregnant pronto. And if you can't sign up for adoption before you go to bed tonight, I'm not even saying you need to get married. Jesus himself was single and celibate. My point is that for those of you who are parents, especially if you parent full-time, what you do is at the focal point of God's vision for the world. Well done. Keep it up. I love that. It's a fantastic reminder for us here in the church of how God values family. So, here's what I want to say. We are not the same, and that is for our mutual benefit. We're reminded men are not better than women, nor are women better than men. We all have different roles to play. What exactly those roles require uh, would 
mean that we'd be here for like the next three days if I was going to try to dive into everything, and I'm not. But I do want to say this, okay? Because I think that this is important. We are uh, an egalitarian church. You're like, ooh, big word. What's that mean, smarty pants? Uh, Egalitarian simply means that we believe that uh, Scripture teaches uh, that women not only have equal value, because all Christians believe that, but we also believe that Scripture teaches that women are able to use the gifts that God has given them uh, the same gifts that God gives to men in his wisdom uh, in, in any way in the church, okay? Uh, I grew up in churches that were what's called complementarian, which believes that women uh, um, have equal value uh, and worth and that God gives uh, different roles. Now, they might have the same gifts, but those uh, gifts may be limited in how they're used. And so complementarian churches generally believe uh, wouldn't have a woman as an elder or a woman as uh, a lead pastor, Okay. Um, we're not complementarian, we're egalitarian, we would have, that's one of the reasons that um, I think that it's incredibly valuable for us to hear from women teaching voices. Carrie was awesome last week. Erin uh, um, Clifford, when she came in a couple months ago, was fantastic. She's coming back again uh, in January. Uh, I think that that's important. Now here, let me say this though, okay? I've heard people that are at churches that are uh, egalitarian, okay, um, almost get militant about it. Like, how dare anybody in the church say that uh, um, you know, a woman's role would be limited. You know, shame on you. Uh, it was said that strongly. Uh, I don't believe that. Because I actually think that there are some things that are more important than our own self-fulfillment in ministry that the Bible lays out. Things like love for our brothers and sisters. Uh, things like unity within the church. Some of my best friends uh, and I disagree on this particular point. And I want you to know that if you disagree uh, with us on this, that's uh, okay, you're welcome to be here. Uh, we want you here because we believe in unity, actually, as a higher value. Uh, it's good that you understand where we come down on the issue uh, so that it doesn't throw you. Uh, but at the same token, um, we want you to be a part of our community because we actually believe that we're better together. And so um, that is one small point that I thought was necessary for us to engage with. We're a young church, and a lot of you are new to our community, and uh, uh, I thought that it was important that we at least acknowledge that. Um, but I want to leave us with one observation and one specific application to this text. All right? Uh, at the core, the truth is, we need one another. That's really the core of this. We need one another. We can't actually do the work, live the life that we were intended to live without each other. So the first observation, or the observation I'd like to make is this. If we understood the value that God places on our different sameness, and I, and I made up that term there, I, don't, I love it. <laughs> but I think there's something to it. Our different sameness, we would not have a hashtag Me Too movement. We wouldn't have to. Because if men treated women with the respect, love, and admiration that God always intended, that Adam experienced when he first was introduced to Eve, this would not be an issue. Uh, same thing is true uh, for how women treat men. Look, it's been a disgusting display. I don't care what side of the aisle politically you find yourself on. The last couple weeks, honestly, the last couple of years, it's been disgusting. And Christians, we have to rise above this to actually care about the things that Jesus cares about all the time. And, and if you've, and chances are we have a number of women and, and men as well, 
that have been sexually abused, we have to be a safe place for people to be real and honest. We're always going to care about truth above all because truth comes from God and we never need to run or hide from truth. And so I want you to know if that's ever happened, like we want to be a safe place, a place where, where someone can, can be loved and cared for, uh, where you can find healing in Christ. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about politics in our nation, all right? But what I am saying is that please, please, please care more about Jesus, okay? Care more about the kingdom. Think about the things that you post, how they're going to affect how your neighbors, how your coworkers, how, how, how much they're going to allow you to love them, to speak truth into their lives, to invite them into things that Jesus really cares about, namely and specifically what it means to have a relationship with him, find the forgiveness that he offers. That is of way more import, all right, than whether or not we think we have somebody that is for us or against us on the Supreme Court. Again, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter. What I am saying, though, is that Christ above all, kingdom above all. Now, the last thing that I want to leave us with is an application, very specific application, and it's this. We cannot do the work, the vocation, right, that God's called us to, or live the life that God desires for us on our own. So you're like, okay, but you're just talking about dudes and, and dudettes. All right? You're just talking about Adam and Eve. Let me say something to all of you that are single, because that's actually probably the majority of our congregation. All right? uh, it would be easy for you to listen to what I just said and think that somehow I'm implying that you're incomplete because you're not yet married. I would guess most of you desire to be married. Okay? Most of you probably will get married at some point. But not every single one of you. I'm not, whole, I'm not sure about this whole gift of singleness thing, all right? Uh, um, I don't know whether it's a, a, a spiritual gift per se. It, it very well may be. My, my sister's 42. She's never been married. She's adopted three kids, three girls that she's raising to know Jesus and love Jesus, and she's phenomenal. I don't know that she would say she has the gift of singleness, to be honest. Uh, there's something in her that wishes uh, many times, I'm sure, that she uh, would have been married by now. And who knows what God has for her in the future? But I want you to hear this. Um, Jesus was single. Um, and he saved the world. So if you're single, you're in pretty stinking good company, okay? <laughs> um, and you're welcome at this place. And the reason that I say that to those of you that are single is also to let you know, though, that um, it's not good for you to be alone. All right? Now, I'm not saying that in the way that you need to then find a, a woman or find a man. I'm saying that in the sense that you need a family. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be family for each other, a place where we find community and connection. And that is the specific application. We're supposed to be in community, every single one of us, you and me, the people around you, that's why we take three minutes in the middle of our service. You're like, I, if you're an introvert, I know you, that's like the worst time of the whole service. For you. I get it. But you know what? We need it. We absolutely need it. You were created for community. And so if you're not in community right now, you need to get in community. Now, would I love it if every single person at TLC was a part of genuine, true, biblical community? Yes. Especially with people who are also at TLC. 
But what I care more than whether or not you're in a local group here at TLC is whether you actually have community someplace. But I'm not talking about just some friends that you hang with, okay? Biblical community involves three C's. A place where you experience care, a place where you experience challenge, and a place where you experience celebration together, all right? It's easy to find bars where we can celebrate the game. We might even have a few friends in our life that will care for us if we're sick, bring us some chicken noodle soup or something, right? Or send you some Uber Eats, all right, if they're really cool. The challenge piece, though, that's, that's a tough one. Right, you see, biblical community allows for people to be in our lives that know us well enough that they can actually call us out on our poopy, all right? <laughs> call us out on things. Uh, not just challenge in the sense of, uh, hey, you're screwing up, you need to change, but also challenge in the sense of, I believe in you, you can do this, come on, let's go. And I want every single person to experience that because that's what we were created for. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are a God who knows what we need. God, you don't give us a job to do that we can't fulfill. You work with us. You decide to partner with us. And God, you bring us what we need. And God, you knew that men needed women and women needed men. It wouldn't have been any different if you had created Eve first and then you took half of her to create Adam. I don't know why you chose to do it the way you did. But God, I know the point that we are to take from Genesis 2 is that we need one another. Thank you for meeting our needs. God, for those that right now, relationally, communally, don't feel as though their needs are being met, God, I pray that they would seek you out and that they would seek others out to find that which all of us are created for. God, we know we cannot do the work you have for us to live the lives you desire of us outside of community. God, even if we've been hurt, even if we're afraid of opening up, God, would you allow us, even so slowly, to begin to release those fears, to hand them to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us for your death and resurrection so that we could become a part of your family. Help us to be your hands and feet on this earth, family to one another, until you return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much for this morning. I cannot wait for next week. The title is Sabbath as Resistance. It's going to be so good. It's going to kick my tail. I will see you guys at the after party down at Nomad Gallery. It's going to be a blast. We'll see you then.